Welcome to another episode of The Station Podcast. My name is Adam Longster. I'm joined as always by Samuel Phoebe Mugabe. We both as a Station Podcast endeavour to look at films and media through a curious lens, picking out themes and concepts that we find interesting from them. This week we are looking at the 2001 art house mystery drama known as Mulholland Drive. A dark-haired woman is the sole survivor of a car crash on Mulholland Drive, a winding road in the Hollywood Hills. Injured and in shock, she makes her way down to Los Angeles and sneaks into an apartment. Later that morning, an aspiring actress named Betty Elms arrives at the apartment, which is normally occupied by her Aunt Ruth. Betty is startled to find the woman, who claims she has amnesia and calls herself Rita after seeing a poster of Gilda starring Rita Hayworth. To help the woman remember her identity, Betty looks inside Rita's purse and finds a large sum of money and an unusual blue key. Together, the two attempt to solve the mystery of Rita's true identity in this mysterious and dreamlike setting. Mulholland Drive was directed by David Lynch. I think it's appropriate that we have a sort of preface and talk about David Lynch specifically as a director and what he brings to the table. Because as we were talking before, Sam obviously found the, the film a little bit confusing, and I think purposely so. A lot of David Lynch's films are very confusing. I remember going into quite a few of them being like Eraserhead, even some parts of Twin Peaks, and just thinking, mm. you often think there's this collation of images and abstract sort of ideas and scenes that you put into and you're like, what, what is going on? What, what is happening? I mean, he kind of spawned the people, like these the, the original people who were like, WTF, what did I just watch? You know, I'm on the weird side of YouTube. Like, it, it, it kind of it kind of spawned those kind of people. Mm. So, I mean, what do you know of David Lynch, Sam? Do you know anything about him? I, not, not, an, not an awful lot, really, apart from obviously he's a director. He directed this film, among others, which is, I guess, it's kind of like an interesting place to come to. To this, I know to come to a director who's obviously someone who's quite stylistic. You know, he's kind of very well known as a director. You know, you, he has his own kind of style, his own kind of way that he sort of constructs films. So, no, I think this is my first kind of foray into the world of Lynch or the world of David. I thought it was an appropriate place to plop you in there because, again, at this point in his career, he's well established himself as a director. People want to work mm. with him. That's why you've got people like Naomi Watts, who are obviously excited to be on a David Lynch picture. When later, mm. you know, people would be excited to work with Naomi Watts. Yet, what really drew me originally to David Lynch's pictures was the way that I felt like he talked. Like I originally found David Lynch was about eighteen or something, and the way that he talked about cinema really drew mm. me in because he talked like he, he has these this thing about you've got to sit down and be absorbed into the world the the intuition uh, tells you how you're supposed to feel and he loves this idea of like sense of place like the one thing you'll see like a concurrent theme of of david lynch or a recurrent theme is the 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 curtains you know these these like mm. drapes and and kind of smoke and often in twin peaks these like tiles that are all kind of like black and white and you know, creating these very strange and, and weird atmospheres just to experience, like, what is it like to be mm. in there? What is it like to be in this this environment, this this tone, this... What is it like? So he's kind of, a, like, a very tonal director, and you get that sort of... I don't know, did you feel that when you went in? Did you feel that, you know, you were being more subjected to, like, how does this feel? Like, it's making you more feel, it's, like, atmospheric. 
yeah, oh god, like, I mean, I think the atmosphere is really strong, and I think, you know, it comes a lot from place, you've got these kind of quite unique, very, obviously, you know, places that have been very thought about, like, the spe how the sort of space works, and the kind of almost, like, blocking of, like, not even just the act, not even just like the actors, but actually, you know, where the sort of props and bits of furniture and stuff like that, and then how the rooms kind of viewed how the camera's coming in you know lots of times when you you know you get these interesting panning shots where it will kind of follow one character and then it will kind of lead you to another character like, i think there's a bit near the start where rita or camilla's like hiding under a kind of bureau sort of thing and it follows one character into a room and then it kind of drops off that character as they leave and it kind of comes down and focuses in on her or the or bits where it will focus on a very specific item like on a table or something and then you've got this really interesting like score and kind of at very atmospheric music going under it and then also some interesting uh kind of counterpoint to that sort of foley you know some very interesting like fighting sounds because the few people get punched in this and we get some and is billy ray cyrus in this or am i just being insane is that is that billy the um gene gene clean 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 genie or whatever he's called like gene cleans or something is that Billy Ray Cyrus? Oh shit! Is that Billy Ray Cyrus? Because <laughs> he has that sort of demeanor and everything, but I don't, I don't think it yeah. is. Yeah. Are you looking him up on now on IMDb? I am actually, <laughs> and I, I, I should have looked that up earlier because I was like, no, that's not, is it? I doubt it is, but no, it, it is. Really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it is. There you go. You also have the the kind of yeah acting acting stylings of Billy Ray Cyrus, which is interesting. Adds even more to the absurdity, doesn't it? <laughs> but back to back to the point I was making. Yeah, um, I think there's there's an interesting counterpoint in the kind of music that, and and the the special kind of foley effects that we can maybe get into later. But yeah, stripping with atmosphere, I'd say, is probably a encapsulate it in one word. Well, it's kind of interesting, yeah, because he does focus on objects and objects of importance and how they present, like... An I almost call them, like, anchors. Like, yeah. we have recurring anchors that come back in different scenes that kind of pull us to the same scene. So there's, like, there's the ashtray. Yeah. The piano ashtray come recurs quite a lot. Um, obviously, the key and the, the sort of interesting box as well. And, and different. actually, there's different keys and there's telephones. a couple of different keys. Telephones. Um, yeah, I mean, telephones will kind of pingers between scenes quite a lot we'll get one character making a call in one scene and then it, it kind of going on to when it's ringing in the other end of the receiver which is a, a kind of a good way it's an interesting way of of connecting two scenes non-spatially you know because we, we, we're kind of we, we're being told that these these two places are connected they're connected by a phone at this point but spatially they could be across the world yeah and even we've got that intercom where you, you said there's this kind of room with this man this kind of um like you know, Mr. Roke, Mr. Roke, who's this really mysterious character in a wheelchair, who's who's you know sort of sat there with the the like the the mic that he puts to. He's got like a little voice, yeah, little kind of voice box thing. Yeah, um, you definitely get those weird, and I think that sort of that encapsulates a David Lynch world because like again, those are those are things that pop up so many times as items or, um, and they elicit this kind of you know either transitional thought or kind of they draw your mind to it again we have mm. the key in the box which is a you know a kind of a linchpin um, idea within this 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 film that gives us the kind of narrative as it were that's the, yeah. the key narrative that's what we kind of focus on it's this big kind of item um 
so and, and also I think in another thing in the David Lynch film you talked about the atmosphere I think the atmosphere is almost like blended there's because I, mm. I, I prefaced it by saying it's a mystery drama film now <laughs> like there's some elements of it I think a you know a horror like are almost oh definitely the, yeah I'd, I'd there's love, some horrifying moments in there I'd love to talk about that that Winky's original Winky scene when we're in the diner as, yeah, as a kind of starter point, because I think that's it's a. Should we start there? It's an amazing scene. Like it's it like it's it's unsettling as hell. Like, um, God, yeah. I think it's it. I don't know if it's something to do with just the kind of um, contrast between this incredibly like I guess just like cheap, cheesy American style diner, nondescript. There's different, and you know, it's a sort of a chain because I think one of the characters talks about that there's. You know, why did you want to come to this one specifically? And the other characters had a dream about it, which is not a particularly nice dream. Um, and yeah, just these long, I don't know, like pauses in the way that they're speaking for me. And then the music as well that starts coming in under it. Well, we're not introduced to these characters. These are super, These are seemingly superfluous characters. This is one scene out of all of this. They, we don't follow these characters mm. throughout it. We just cut from... A sequence of images. We got the the jitterbug scene at the beginning, the kind of the jitterbug contest, um, mm. that montage. Um, we get a pillow, a head, and then we got like this the scene of um, scene of Rita, and then we suddenly we're snapped into to Winkies. We're in the diner and we're having the conversation between these two men, you know, and then it sort of ensues from there. And again, it's like about a dream that one of them had, and it feels quite important. It but- feels like there's a lot of emphasis put on this scene. Yeah, and it, and then it kind of brings it back to it because the the sort of the horror element, if if you'd call it, that comes from this scene is him describing being alone with the other guy in this diner, and him sort of standing by the counter, and then that's kind of foreshadowed at the end as he goes up to pay. He stands by the diner, and you kind of see this look of horror on the first man's face because you know it's almost like the, the kind of dream starting to come, and as he sort of says that there's a there's a strange man in the back. And his face is, uh, he kind of just describes it as being horrifying and that he'd never want to see that outside of a dream. And that the other man's really scared and then that makes him even scareder. Well, he's talking as well about it's like de- half night, half day. And as we go out, the mm. the lighting's very strange. It doesn't look like it's day or night. It's it's like in the diner, everything's really white outside. It You know, it's quite dreamlike because then we get... We then face, mm. it comes to fruition what this, this guy said, and we, we, we kind of go amble down, we get, you know, past the, the telephone, and like a sign saying go back, like this, this anx- you know, anxiousness or anxiety about, about enacting this, because we know what's going to happen, that there's this beautiful shot <laughs> of the corner, and it just keeps, it pans back to the guys, or it, you know, cuts back to the guys, cuts back to the corner, we're slowly heading towards the corner, we're like, well, what's 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 going to happen? Because it's really tense. What's around the corner? Yeah, yeah. And then there's a jump scare. And, and then it, yeah, and the other guy just faints, and then you just see the the kind of head of I, I, this this other other person or creature. Um, the film calls them the bum, or it says on the IMDb the bum. The bum. So yeah, and it almost looks like some kind of bush esque <laughs> kind of thing like i don't like the hitcher or the spirit of jazz or something like that it's very like old greg but like he's, he's almost yeah because he's almost got like he looks like he's got kind of I mean, it's like, like burnt food stuck to him or something like that it kind of looks like someone yeah who's been burnt a lie like sin or he's been burnt yeah 
Yeah. Yeah, that's probably a good... It looks like someone who's been burnt, really. Like, severely, like, charred to a crisp. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, we get... But, again, like, after that, we don't really get any horror elements. Like, you know, we got this, this kind of setting precedent of, of going to the corner, and the rest of the film... We amble round corners. We go around um, sort of Aunt... Was it Aunt Ruthie, I think it is, uh, who's who's around? Like, who, who basically... Yeah, her apartment. Yeah, Betty's Betty's aunt who kind of rents her out her apartment. We go around the apartment and we, there's always that fear. Did you feel that? Did you... Because it's quite tense after that point, I felt. Yeah, it, does, it feels like... But then I think, I think there's some other scenes later on that they don't have the same kind of like horror and all the horror doesn't really come to fruition in the same way but you know there's a lot of bits where they're entering like houses and you kind of are coming in very slowly with them and the music's kind of amping it up and you know they're looking so like you know when adam the director goes back into his apartment and you can tell that there's someone else there and he kind of knows it and that almost starts ramping up to be some kind of horror element because you kind of know that people are at that point you know he's he's damaged the car of of the kind of shadowy organization that's trying to for for whatever reason cast this very specific woman in this role that he's recasting for um so you think oh god you know they've got they've got to his house what's he gonna find i was i thought he was just gonna be like you know pulled into a corner and a bag over his head and taken out but actually he finds his wife um having an affair with uh this clean genie i think he's called gene played by as we've said billy ray cyrus um and it so it it, that that, it it kind of just all that tension like ramps up but then that kind of keeps happening and i think because you've you've had this initial moment of of you know it kind of coming fruition that every time it starts to ramp up like that you're like oh god you know what's the jump scare going to be what's the the, what's the thing what 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 are they going to discover i don't know if you felt like that that that's a great thing to break up and bring up because i think the film revels in um subversion in knowing your expectations what do you think is going to happen um i'm just going to say one line before we move on from uh, from that scene specifically where adam goes into his (laughs) yeah yeah is it billy ray cyrus the gene genie whatever his name is um says (laughs) just uh, just forget what you saw it's better that way which is so weird like imagine going in and finding Mm. your, your your lover with with someone else and then they just they turn around to you and say it's just better if you forget about it like just ignore it like, yeah and and that they're both acting like he's in the wrong for coming home when he shouldn't opposed mm. to they're in the wrong for for having an extramarital affair and yeah he doesn't even see but then he doesn't even that pissed off because then early you know later on we see him kind of with camilla mm. but we don't know if that takes place like before this has happened or after it yeah Again, there's a lot of elements going back to that point. Is there's a lot of elements of uh, subversion, of of kind of misdirection mm. of. Well, I th- I thought that was going to happen. There's a scene where yeah yeah where um where Betty or Diane is is meeting uh meeting Adam. Then they they lock eyes and there's that um it's like a classic movie scene where the the two th- you know two people look at each other with such you know love and you think wow where is this where is this gonna go they they're like they're clearly yeah, in yeah. love like this is the look of love and then oh no nope <laughs> we're not do- doing that like they have little interaction that we we see that's really uh, akin to that but that's kind of i feel like that's kind of explained if you could delve deeper into the film mm. but from an initial point you look at that and you're like what 
why why didn't you do any like that's you know it just it's very confusing one of the things i found found confusing was one of the initial scenes where we see betty come to to hollywood and it's really like over the top like all the uh, the the colors are really blaring and she's going like wow this is a like a kid like in a candy store yeah she she's kind of pa painted as this being very naive kind of i think she's come from like somewhere in canada hasn't seen she's coming to the big the big city and there's that scene you know she's like oh like like where are my bags and it's, the taxi driver's just taken them but for a second you know it looks like her bags have been nicked already it's, it's it's all fine. She kind of she kind of goes off in the taxi after having like a conversation on the on the plane. I guess it was plane or train or where she's come off with, with this older couple who then kind of come back right near the end to yeah, kind yeah, of yeah. haunt her. Well, the same actor but playing a different or all, all playing a different role. We don't really know. Yeah, a, a role with a different name. One of the most interesting things about that scene that I noticed straight away was that the ADR. Like the, the so they voiced over, is not like mm. that in the rest of the film. So they've clearly in that scene, like it's like this you know wonderful scene where she's come to Hollywood, and like it's really over the top. Like you can tell, like they're just going, like, well, now if I ever see you on the big screen, like it just sounds like really wrong. Yeah, it's yeah. Like, the rest of the scene does. So this cheesy kind of um you know it's, i don't know like someone from a small town moves to a big city to make something of themselves, and that's what that's setting up that like storyline because i almost think of this as being it does feel like it's a lot quite a few disparate kind of storylines that are kind of cast out by by um by david lynch and then you expect at the end because you know that's kind of what happens with mystery films you expect at the end for all of them to very clearly lock in and we get why x y and z has happened and we get a bit of that i think at the end we get maybe why x and y have happened but we don't know about z and you know oh it doesn't necessarily it all doesn't all link up nicely in a nice little box but we get some explanation and then we get some kind of lines that are sort of left a bit more ambiguously or a bit more um symbolically or they're kind of linking a little bit there's a great scene that kind of goes into this that i think really explains this whole concept which is the the scene where they go into silencio and they introduced mm. this magician type, this kind of uh, what's his name? Like <laughs> David. Is he even a magician, really? Though like, David is like a David Blaine type, like I don't know, this kind of David guy who stood there. The but presenter. what he's really doing is like lift, lifting his hands, saying, "Oh, there's no music; it's all pre-recorded." <laughs> lifting well, his hands at different moments as bit, that, bits of music play. That's the that's the sense of illusion, though. That is magic because you are then believing. Like there's many times, like when there's that really heartfelt rendition of. Um, of Roy Orbison's crying, which is in Spanish, mm. like it makes like when I felt when I watched that scene, I was like, God, she's really going for it. You know, she's this is really an emotional scene, and then it's just revealed. It's like, nope, it wasn't, and then she just uh, like she... falls over and faints, and it's like, yeah, she faints or dies because they kind of check a pulse, I think, before they before they yeah. pull her off stage. But you know, that's like um, backing up this this idea of no hay banda, there is no band. Like, what you're seeing, mm. which is kind of like the subliminal you're saying, like, what you're seeing isn't real. It's it's not happening. Yeah. You know, which is kind of like, well, yeah, but we did see that. That did happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And also we're left I thinking... Think it's, 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 sorry, go. 
As you can see, it's similar to the kind of audition scene where where Adam's been told to audition to to cast like a specific woman, where they're auditioning for this part, but they're just kind of lip syncing along to a track. Yeah. So it's it's you know it's kind of like how how's that really an audition? Because mm. they're just lip syncing. They're not you know they're not. Did you you're just kind of going off what they look like lip syncing? It's not like well we need to cast someone who can sing because they're going to be singing. They're already pre-recorded. There is no band. Um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> as well in in that scene, it's all kind of prestige and it's all an illusion. But we get that as immediately when you go in in there as well. Like you get the pullouts where you, like we think that they're singing. We think that that's actually their voices, but it's not. Mm. It's it's like where Betty has that scene where she's rehearsing with. Um, with Rita, you know, in the rehearsing lines. She does it in one way and says, like, she does it really melodramatically, like, you know, she projects her lines, like, I hate you, you know, and she says, I do it with tears, and, you know, but when it comes to the actual scene, our expectations are kind of out the window. It's like, whoa, she did it really intense, like, this is, and we don't know, is she giving in? Is she actually playing along? Is she, you know, because she, she looks like she's reticent at first. She looks like she, you know, she sort of pushes away, like, mm. you know, it blurs the lines of like, when does the scene start? Because this guy's obviously very, um, he's very aggressive with kind of like, you know, wanting to, to, you know, to be with her and like, you know, get this young actress to kind of, you know, play along and be intimate. Yeah, in the scene. it's 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 quite creepy, isn't it? Kind of how it's. This, this leather-faced man who's really looked like he's been out in the sun too long, who's quite sh- quite shit at acting as well, and kind of doesn't want to take any scene direction from the director because he's, he's just like you know acting's reacting, and if they do this, I'll do that. And well, the director so as well, he's he's not interested. Every time like they they say to him like, what what did you think? He was like, uh, oh yeah, um, <laughs> yeah, it could have it felt a little bit forced, like <laughs> like what. <laughs> You know, so I mean, yeah, there's, there's, and I think that is one thing I will say as well. There seems like, I, so to just kind of come into it, David Lynch does not like to explain your film, his films. You've kind of hit upon something mm. there, and he has said this before, where he said, like, oh well, I don't think, you know, like sometimes when you read an author's uh, work, they aren't there to clear and ratify what's gone on mm. in it. So why should I? I think that mystery does lend um, to the the actual film itself or you know pieces of art sometimes not being explained i do think there's a concrete explanation for what goes on within the film um and i, I can go into that what you know what it's theorized yeah. and probably is most likely that happens so what we see the preface to everything that comes up to the point where the box is opened is diane's mm-hmm. or diane's dream so she's kind of met all these characters, Betty. Like, that's where she gets the name from. At the end, we see in the diner, in Winky's diner. Um, she's she's obviously, she had, she came to, to Hollywood. And obviously, the latter part of the film we see is the truth. That's actually reality. Um, you know, she's done the deed. She has uh, incited um, this this to happen, like this, the shooting of, of her lover being that of uh, Camilla. Like, those obviously two did link up. When she's at the party and she explains, um, oh, yeah, I came to, to Hollywood, and, you know, obviously there's an inference there that Camilla had slept with Adam to get, or the some of Bob to get the part over um, mm. over Diane. There's obviously an illu- you know, illus- like allusion to that, because we see, like, obviously in the scene, she's very uncomfortable with 
or there's this over intimacy where he's like extending himself and trying to get you know and you can tell okay there's a bit of a casting couch kind of thing going on there like you're, you're making a bit mm. of a comment about how hollywood is but obviously then this is the, the whole thing that we see is diane's dream about she'd gotten rid she'd actually put out a hit so there's that scene where she goes to the guy you know the guy with the gun who you fudges up that that whole <laughs> you know that whole thing oh, in God, that's that is a scene and a half that is it, it's, um, it's so comical it's weird no i like i like i think yeah that that does definitely make sense to me so then you've got obviously all these because betty and and diane there's some you know when she's kind of explaining how she came to Hol- came to hollywood you're like okay well yeah there's some similarities there you know she, they both talk about they both have an aunt who was in the business and then in in the kind of dream her aunt's still alive and she's just and then obviously presumably those two met um camilla and 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 diane and obviously in her dream they kind of meet in a different way and they meet in a way after the thing that presumably she's feeling quite probably quite guilty about even about basically taking a hit out on this woman well that's Um, why you've got these like subconscious failed these subconscious like knocks on her you know conscious like yeah you know you've got that woman who comes and knocks on her door is like something really bad's happened you know you've got yeah yeah you've got to do something about this um you've got the cowboy as well you know this really odd character who you know who's do we see twice we do see twice that's right we do see twice so adam did because he says yeah if you do good you'll see me once if you do bad you'll see me twice and all these characters adam the and and rita as well they they represent uh, diane's subconscious like they're all these you know mm. they represent different parts to it like you see like how she makes adam in a dream like or, he's or it could be also like because i think you also get maybe get the because of how they kind of obviously um the actor playing both parts sort of dresses and looks differently in each part so you you maybe get the kind of Im- implication that that diane's possibly a drug user like you know she's maybe uses something like heroin or cocaine or something like she she, she kind of looks progressively worse throughout her, her kind of bits like you know um she's maybe deteriorating and you know that could be part of you know that it could be some kind of drug fuels like fever dream that she's kind of guilt guilt filled drug fueled she definitely looks haggard towards the end doesn't yeah when we see mm. actual diane she looks she looks miserable she, she doesn't, doesn't look, look you know yeah this this kind of idealistic <laughs> betty that she's dreamt herself up to be you know yeah this and that could that could also just be that yeah like hollywood's kind of ground her down a bit because she you know, she hasn't become the star that she'd hoped and um she's in a you know she's she's in love with someone who doesn't quite love her in the same way or, or wants to love other people as well so she just she feels jealous there um but no i like i think that is interesting and then you know cause if we if we take that as a thing so then um if we were just thinking about how how did these scenes link right so you've obviously she's hired this this guy with a gun mm. to to kill someone and then we see in her dream him trying to kill someone else and doing it very badly and now in her dream in her fantasy that's going on she, he's fucked up the killing the killing's been fucked up so it's almost that that's her kind of like being like oh look yeah he's very clumsy he's not actually very good at his job he could quite easily have fudged this up because look you know he went to kill one person over it sounds like it's some book of casting i don't know like some book of numbers some kind of director's casting book or something um or you know contacts in hollywood and he ended up accidentally killing three people and starting presumably starting a fire or at least setting off the fire alarms he's not very good at this he could quite easily have accidentally not killed her and then she's she's gone off and met someone else yeah there's, there's that worry that fear there that that is what's what's happened yeah that's totally right sam i think you've you've 
You've hit it. You've hit it. Got it. Yeah, I know. I, you know, obviously with these kind of films, it's one of those things where you may, maybe can't necessarily say a hundred percent for sure what has happened. But I think that that explanation there of the viewers is makes a lot of sense and yeah you do get a point when they kind of turn the key in that box that it, almost everything just gets pulled in you go into it and then we come back out well i think and it has a different feel so the box is left up to mystery i think that box represents the kind of the nasty things that diane has committed herself to doing this kind of the pull of because the key is slightly different mm. to the to the key that's the kind of um it's the Oh, I don't know what the word is. It's the kind of sign that the deed's been done mm. is a blue key. And this is also a blue key. But it's a slightly different blue key. So obviously that kind of links, yeah, links it with that nasty thing. He's definitely. Yeah. Because, yeah, the, the the actual key we I see like at the that. end, this blue key that the, the, the hitman gives her um, is a real key. In the dream sequence, it's a key for this box. And yeah. It's like a it doesn't look like it'd open anything, though. <laughs> yeah, it's, it looks like a It's not really how keys work. <laughs> yeah. Like a little miniature flute like you know it's really weird it's like mm. yeah so yeah I, I mean to me that's like going into it looking at it that way you start to realize oh right oh i mean as i say not everything in that way is explained and this is one thing i want to go on to as well a little background about maholland drive maholland drive was actually supposed to be a pilot for a spin-off of twin peaks okay so <laughs> This explains ah. some of the um, incongruency, like things that pop up, like it was going to be elaborated on. The actual pilot itself, I've watched, and it's like, yeah, there's a lot of things there from it. You know, it's basically, you know, a lot of, but it's remapped out. There's things like that might be explained, like Roke, the man Roke, might have been explained a bit more. Mm. But the beauty of this film is that it's been reassembled to be this kind of enigmatic kind of art piece where things like that we don't know why is this man wilkins wilkins was going to get a part if you actually see at the end in the party scene wilkins is sat next to diane that's the man that she says about the poo on the on the courtyard floor she's like wilkins your dog's phone <laughs> again that man is at the party and he just like got totally cut out like he's like oh the reason why, the, and there's a very interesting reason, this is one why David Lynch will not work with Hollywood anymore, he hates it, is because this pilot was put to one of the a top executive, and mm. they put out on like 7 o'clock in the morning, they were watching this, this pilot, and they were making calls and, and ringing people at the same time, like just basically watching it in the background, of what, 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 yeah. how we'd watch Netflix nowadays. And he was kind yeah, of like, yeah. he was kind of like, I didn't get it. It was boring. I turned it off. So that's basically, you know, the story of why it was made. And it basically, got funding from these French people. They were like, Yeah, let's make you make your film. You know, make your film. So it's the cobbling together of of these pieces which make <laughs> this. But uh. I think the beauty of it is David Lynch has taken that and then thought about it, like to make this really postmodern piece where you're like. Yeah, yeah. What is going? Why do these people talk like this? What, what, what's that doing there? Why is that there? Yeah, and he does dig at Hollywood quite a bit, you know. And this, for, we we don't really ever realize why they want this particular woman cast in this particular part, but they do. And when you know the director goes against that or tries to go against that, he has all his funds cut. You know, people following him basically. Um, and kind of yeah, there's there's 
it doesn't really go that, but there's a kind of far, but there's maybe an implication that if he, you know, if he kept down that road, that something bad would happen to him, that he might disappear. So it is definitely saying that it's like, and there's no, there's not really an explanation given as to why they want this particular person cast. Yeah, exactly. They do. Yeah, this is the girl. Like, this is the who you need to like, and you have to say this is the girl. Like, you have to turn around um, and say to him specifically, and they say, yeah. "Excellent choice." Yeah, when there's obviously, and I think that the kind of scene before that of the, the kind of. Um, the other woman auditioning for the part with the backing singers who's act you know probably gives a better performance you know it's it's more upbeat it's there's more energy in there showing well actually you know and and she's obviously kind of talks like she's quite an established artist as well that like you know there's it's the people that the mysterious you know evil hollywood kind overlords. of corporations or whatever they're yeah overlords illuminati when you speak aren't always the best people for the part yeah um, but and they don't really give you an explanation as to why you have to pick this person over this person, but but you do, or just yeah, you know, how controlling it is, which kind of brings on to another thing that I really felt when I was watching is this: it's very Kafkaesque in certain of its kind of unexplained nature, which I really like because I'm a massive fan of Kafka. But it definitely felt a bit like the trial, uh, a little bit like Metamorphosis, um, and you know some of his other work. It's got that kind of we don't necessarily know X, Y, and Z. We don't need to know because we can just kind of enjoy the weirdness, really. Enjoy the strangeness. Kafka and Lynch do uh, share a lot of similarities. Yeah, that's that's a really mm. apt comparison. Yeah, I'd, I'd say that the even the absurdity and the, and the kind of what you find in those... Because it is grounded, I would say that. It's not totally bizarre to the point no. where you'd be like, what... This is just like this is like free jazz. Like there's there's no kind of um, there's no bearings and like what there is an established narrative as we kind of talked about. There is there's there's points you can kind of get in and be like you know I think everything in this that as I said to you before I think everything in this can be explained. I don't think it's that nebulous, mm. but I think I, I think that's one of the things to do as a creator or a director. Well, do, who are also creators is a creator of art when you are wanting to do something that's very weird but you are also wanting people to actually watch it and kind of get it is to give people these very these kind of concrete points almost that they can use to navigate the weirdness um which is the thing that i've d tried to do when i've kind of delved into the weirder realms of kind of writing and messing around with words is you have to give people stuff to hang on to because you might know what this thing means but if you don't kind of hint at it to people you don't have to tell them um, or you can tell them and you can you know and you can tell them it's one thing and it can be something completely different but if you don't give them these kind of little concrete kind of handrails to grab onto they will just get lost mm. and they probably will turn it off and i mean that's fine you might want to make something like that but people probably won't watch it yeah so there's a kind of and and you can do both you can have something that's very weird like this but also is watchable and enjoyable and like i enjoyed watching this i, I thought it was really good i thought it was very weird but i liked it <laughs> you know i'd watch it again <laughs> well when we compare it to like something like stalker which was another art house piece the two have sort of some certain similarities in the way that they present things that they're not quite as they are you know they're, they're using mm. film in a different way but they're quite different the way that they approach them and that like Un unreliable narrator which we talked about a lot in stalker like we doubt whether the stalkers is he telling the truth because whenever he anyone does anything that a bad thing happens a bad thing doesn't happen you know in this people we see people um like there's i think that the scene in the kind of later half of the film where um 
Dina wakes up um, and and Camilla is kind of standing in a kitchen and then suddenly she's not there and then she makes coffee and then she goes into the room and she's lying on the sofa and but we, we're kind of like well is she actually really there because she was there for a second and then she vanished and she didn't kind of go oh like where are you it was like oh I'm you know you kind of got am I imagining this but then she very much is there and then she leaves and then she gets a call from her almost almost as she leaves so it's you know it's just we, we start to doubt what what you know how reliable the information is that we're being given and, what, and the timings and well when we that. when we look at dreams and examine dreams in the subconscious that's how dreams work they don't often mm. they don't exactly we can't and i think obviously david lynch has a real infantilization with with dreams like he's he's obviously clearly a, a man who respects the lot because there isn't like you could do like, i think this plays out like that like you know sometimes fears will come to the surface like again the bum who suddenly swerves out and then doesn't is kind of like a a thing of like oh god there's this thing i don't really like and i'm gonna push it back to the you know i'm not gonna i'm Mm. not gonna interact with that but we it's still there it's still you know as i say like i think about this as like a network of walking through someone's mind or someone's brain and looking at things like like when she sees camilla that's a memory or that's a time you know as i say then we're snapped back to reality but it's just obviously not very mm. overt in the way we show it and i like that i like that it didn't just suddenly put like a, a really glowy overlay on the on the screen so we knew like it's a dream or it's a kind of vision of the yeah. past because you've got that in like tvs like it's not it's not unheard of i think it was what was that film or what was that TV yeah series? you get the kind of watery sort of yeah um thing and, and then you're yeah it's kind of all got a weird filter on it doesn't it uh, i'm trying to think of the tv series where they i think it's dallas so the big big turning point spoiler for dallas by the way um <laughs> big spoiler in that is that one of the characters at the end of one of the seasons where loads of crazy shit happens they wake up and it's a dream and then it's back to canon mm. and i i think that's a really cheap narrative device um, do you find that to in the, re- reset everything in that if when, when I've explained it, it's like now a dream do you think that's now cheapened the experience no because I think it's more you know it's it's symbolic and metaphoric more than I, I, I've not watched Alice but I'm presuming that's kind of sold to you as being this is happening this is very real um, and then it's like oh yeah like it's it's almost like well what's the point of me watching that season if none of it actually mattered whereas this it's like we, we're starting to learn about these real events through someone's I guess like psychosis through their, their worry and through their kind of trauma of, of that and their kind of regret I'm gonna say like one of the most important things about this like the psychogenic fugue is that and this is something that came to mind is that when um, I'm trying to think of the celebrity who OJ Simpson. So OJ Simpson obviously was uh, was put to trial and arrested and subsequently spent jail time for murdering his wife. No, I, he got off. No, he got off. That's right. Um, he was prosecuted Famously. for for killing his wife. And the weird thing about it, like everybody kind of knows that he did it. There's enough evidence to support that he did it, but he got off for some reason. Um, but yet the next day like he was out there playing golf and he was like i'm fine i'm good i didn't do anything and i think david lynch got really infatuated with that idea of i can do this really horrible thing but i can Mm. next day i'm gonna be fine and i think that's explored within the film like you've got that idea of like she's just like no nothing happened i'm all good life life's great you know everything's all right and i guess that's a lot of 
you know, probably ha I think that happens with a lot of, of people when in films and in real life when people do truly awful things that they can just compartmentalize them or, or they happen in a way that, you know, uh, there's, there's enough space between them and it, which for her is obviously she's hired someone to do the act. Um, that you can maybe do that, but then it, it does, you know, potentially start to actually come back and, and kind of haunt you. Yeah. But no, that is very interesting. Well, you have those voices of people telling you, like the Mr. Goldenfold thing in the, the Rick and Morty when they incept into uh, Morty's math teacher. Mm. And there's all those voices kind of like, if something's going wrong, like we're on the, on the plane. That's kind of what happens. Like we all kind of like, if there's things wrong, there's this kind of like, I don't know, our minds start warping information, start having to like, to, to make things make sense. Again, like in a dream, like that's how things compartmentalize. Mm. I've always thought that, like, that's dreams sort of working things out and, like, yeah, finding away yeah. things. Like, what does this mean? Like, I'll give it this mean, this meaning and, like, I'll put that away because I don't understand that. But that piece of, like, the way we interpret things is, like, the way that we compartmentalize them. Mm. Um, I like that. Um, I was just thinking, is there any anywhere else in the film that you think would be good to, to talk about? To analyze or, uh, or look over. Um, I suppose. Yeah. I suppose one of the good questions I was going to ask you is like, as a, as a you know, yeah. as any good lecturer would, they'd be they'd turn around to you and say, any questions? Like, uh, do, do you have <laughs> what? What do you find most? Uh, what do you think that, that is still unanswered? What do you? What would you like to to go through? Say, ooh, what still? I guess like. I guess, like, the, as we've sort of talked about first, like, the diner scene at the beginning, mm. opposed to the fact that, like, later on, they are in that location, and, and the kind of name tag of that woman is, it, it you know, it, it's kind of important in, mm. in, in, in remembering um, that kind of bit of subconscious information. But, you know, like, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't, you know, the... But then I guess no, because then like at the end, you know, we see the bum with the, the block, the kind of, you know, the block where all the bad things are. So it's like, you know, is he kind of just like a metaphor for bad things? And then obviously, you know, if we're talking about dreams, like that introduces kind of like the concept of dreams and go and, you know, kind of going back to places that you've seen in dreams or are dreaming about. So, no, I think I think that as an explanation, like does definitely kind of pull a lot of the threads kind of together a bit more you know not necessarily like you know really tightly together but it does kind of gives you a framework gives you yeah like, how does this all like mesh together like you can then from there you could be like oh right because if you notice the guy in the, the diner is called dan what's our protagonist's name diane dan diane like he represents a part of diane who's gone over to see this horrible thing who doesn't really like what was the what was the, what was the quote it was like um, it was a face that I'd never want to see again, but it also says something else where it's like, um, yeah, it's, it's just like something I, I, you know, I don't want to do. I, I, you know, I want to get away from this feeling, but I have to face up to it, which is obviously part of the cowboy where it's mm. kind of like, you got, you got to face up to this thing. You know, you got to do set things right. And she mm. doesn't obviously. And that's where she leads yeah. to her killing herself i mean like we could talk about yeah. the parents because you were like you know you seemed like you didn't really understand or the, these kind of figures who represent kind of the parent parental kind of uh, 
Yeah, who I guess it's, it's the same people isn't it, at the beginning who who Betty's talking to on the on the plane, who's who has been talking to on the plane. And yeah, I guess you know if we think about it, then they maybe symbolise like yeah, like her parents or her aunt, I guess, or just that kind of parental, or just this kind figures. of idea that she's got to do well. Like I'll be looking out for you in the big screen, like not letting people down, mm. like her fears coming back, like you know the, a, a kind of worst point. It's kind of these people, you know, are expect pressure of people who. Yeah, expected her, believed in her, and then because they are the kind of last thing that sort of drives her to actually shoot herself, aren't they? That's the, the kind of catalyst moment, is them kind of almost like chasing her through the house, <laughs> like ah, you know? like it just. <laughs> but starting really small as well, don't they? They're very tiny. You always think they're like, and I don't know, uh, models or something, and then suddenly like the borrowers or something big. <laughs> Yeah, and I don't know if that's one of the other things about it that, like, you know, if we're talking about, like, a dream, because it kind of sets up this world as being quite strange anyway, it never really feels like we're kind of in the normal world in here, that we don't kind of just go, oh, yeah, that's a dream, because this thing's happened that wouldn't happen in the normal world, because we our definition of kind of what is normal um, is, is really strange. <laughs> a very odd thing, when I was watching this, um, I had to change computers, because my first one was, like, wasn't working it very well it kept when the scenes kept changing it kept kind of um going kind of black and white and everything sort of going a bit weird mm. and for for a while i thought that was just i thought, you that thought was it was part of the actually film. and then it started it, the audio and stuff started lagging and i was like oh no it, it's just fucking up but i was like i was like oh it's really interesting it's almost like i'm watching like an old black and white film where it keeps flashing to it being an old black and white film um which was kind of interesting and then i was like oh no yeah no it's just it's just my machine being a bit shit but that's the beauty of it, and I think that is partially what, you know, inspires you and elicits these kind of feelings. Like, again, when you start off, you don't know what's going on. It's not overt that it's a dream, but that inspires you to start, all these possibilities start popping up in your head. I'm like, when I started watching, I was like, what is going on? Why, why have we gone to this scene? Is this supposed to be a representation of this? But that's the beauty of it. It's like, what mm. does it mean? But when you give a concrete meaning, it's like, oh, right and everything starts to formulate into place and again that's like dreams that's like when we when we mm. give meaning to dreams and like well you saw that person yesterday or that person was there and that's why and you're like oh yeah i did do that you know like when you're trying to yeah yeah something really weird in your dream you're like oh yeah i did go horseback riding the other day that's why that horse yeah. was like really scary in my dream <laughs> it's kind of like that so i think because it's like kind of a miss like serendipity isn't it that the, the things that are kind of floating around in your subconscious will start to kind of kind of come up. Um, no, they're very they are very interesting dreams. Serendipitous is a great word for it, by the way. That I think that summarizes the experience pretty well. Yeah, thank you. It, it's that kind of thing, and I think yeah, that film this film does. You know, the more I kind of think of it within the kind of you know lens of that, this bit of it is probably a dream, and then this bit of it is the kind of reality that the person's waking up from it i think it definitely stuff sort of starts to um kind of sort of make sense a bit more and then you know the the sort of fixations on like certain objects and stuff like, that, like the ashtray the kind of name tags of, of the names that reminds her of i guess like who she actually is her actual name mm. um you know and the ashtray that's obviously her the person who she swapped condos with was wanted back and the, you know that's that's why there's a bit of a kind of tug around that and um just all these different things that i, I like i quite like the word artifacts 
for, for things like that, that that are artifacts that have some sort of meaning and have some kind of presence in the world. I mean, maybe one of the last things we could talk about, um, which you're going to put um, two things actually. Go on. Yeah. The the espresso scene. Yeah, the espresso scene. That's one of the. That was one of the weirdest things that I think I saw, where they're like this is really good this is a good coffee i've been recommended this coffee like this real fake kind of i've been recommended this coffee and then um i can't remember what the character's name is but one of his one of you know one of the kind of one of the brothers uh, you know one yeah one of the brothers of the evil kind of corporation brothers um just kind of asks for a napkin drinks the coffee and then just sp- disgustingly kind of spits spit the out, yeah. out of his mouth almost into it and it's like and the you know the guy's like well it's one of the best coffees you know in the world like it's one of the best coffees it's come highly recommended it just that was such a strange kind of moment and i was like but i liked it i was like oh yeah that's interesting well the guy who obviously the guy who does it um, is the is actually the co- the composer for a lot of david lynch films is called angelo bodlamenti um. and every time i watch it, i'm like oh shit, there he is um <laughs> what he does as well yeah he he whispers he whispers like uh napkin and then the the, the waiter's like uh, excuse me and he says napkin like he's really like he's obviously very blunt and very rude like to you know and then obviously when he spits mm. it out he's like it's like the most disgusting thing he's ever put in yeah. his mouth like he's really trying to just, get every essence of it out the, uh, yeah he could have just spat it back into the um, into the cup the mug as well couldn't he like and then just wiped his mouth but no he kind of like spits it into that folds the napkin wipes his mouth like yeah almost like licks you know like wipes it off his tongue in the inside of his mouth and yeah as you said yeah it's like he's just ha- having to like gouge this disgusting presence out of his out of his mouth and that yeah that just struck me as yeah such an odd scene but then i guess it does kind of like tell you quite a lot about about kind of how ruthless those characters are in you know that this thing's not right and i just don't want it you know i'm not even Mm. gonna politely pretend that i'm enjoying this coffee that's come highly recommended um you know (laughs) it's no and the other thing um i thought we could maybe chat about is um you know we kind of talked a little bit about like the different kind of places and how important kind of places for david lynch because mm-hmm. you know the ones that really stand out for me are obviously you've got kind of got the apartment that quite a lot of it takes place in and you've got this beautiful outside kind of contrasted with a, a little bit more of a dour sort of inside um of mm. of betty's aunt's apartment you've got the diner obviously it is quite an iconic kind of location we talked a little bit about mr roke's kind of office is this very interesting kind of staged space um, that kind of almost does you don't really ever know where it is it almost exists in its own kind of like little universe um and then the um club silencio which is in itself a very strange place and also i guess a bit a bit peculiar to be open at like two in the morning for kind of cabaret acts i, I you know i guess it's hollywood it's not you know it's, it's, it's probably it doesn't sleep in the same way as other cities but it, it seems like a weird thing to oh it's two in the morning i fancy going and seeing some, some cabaret performance you know weirdly like blending it with spanish it's almost like that's uh, subconscious mm. um like obviously it seems like camilla was speaking spanish in some of the later scenes so you're like oh did she is she got like a spanish background? That language kind of coming yeah kind of coming i think yeah i think it's, it's meant to be that she does yeah but she just yeah she just speaks spanish at the dinner party but first you're like porque it's you're like why is this in spanish <laughs> like it's really weird because you're just like this woman just speaking mm. in spanish and you got no subtitles for it. it's like what <laughs> like 
<laughs> and I didn't realize it was crying just... by Rob Orbison till after. I was like, is that really important? Do I need to be listening to the lyrics? I was like, oh, no, no. <laughs> Um, it's basically like if you haven't heard the song before, it's basically about crying over a a love that you do not have anymore. Someone's come to you and that you're left alone crying over someone who just doesn't want you anymore. Mm. Representative of Diane in this, you know, that's obviously subconsciously yeah, supplanted definitely. and that she's there like, oh, well, I'm crying over you now. And that that's, that kind of appears, but yeah, there's loads of lo lovely little locations, and I think that sets the scene for all these like these moments, these kind of like you know um, really kind of strange you know ideas mm. um, like facilitated within the place. Obviously, Winkies has a real significance. It's like where Diane did her nasty deed, and she keeps returning to mm. the place because obviously it's in there. It's like I did it, I did this it's horrible the thing, and it's you know it's at Winkies. <laughs> just <laughs> to where the bad where the bad thing is like yeah. yeah yeah no that's that's very true and and yeah like the kind of like roke's office is very strange you know it's got a screen up and he kind of speaks through a kind of almost it's like a little microphone thing that people aren't ever quite in or there's you know they're not really in the same space as him when they're coming to see him and it's it's just set up very oddly I, I think some of these things of space and... some of the things that you've mentioned i think sometimes that is david just i think throwing some kind of the aesthetic of that yeah throwing something out it, there yeah it it makes you i don't know it, it's when you kind of see that you kind of it's almost like you want to look for meaning in it because you obviously get the idea that this is this is a very curated space you know someone's really thought about and also this is not how most people set up their office it's, it looks a bit peculiar it's a bit odd it's kind of strange how the the the, the furniture's all kind of around the edges and you know, you know usually you'd probably have a desk in the middle so you can entertain people but he's kind of just sat you know looking away from his desk at the people um and yeah no as you said yeah might not have any meaning at all but i just there's it does give you that real sense of like place that mm. these are very specific places and you know that someone's thought about how this is going to look and it kind of anchors you to that place i think i think yeah it draws you in you want you know there's so much mystery about it it kind of sometimes when you get spaces explained to you or you know the interior of it the mystery fades and you don't really want to be in mm. there you're like oh well i know it from memory you just want to know like well why is that why is roke in this room what's significant about this room why is it walled yeah, off that he never seems to leave but i think like, that's purposeful like i think from the setup and the go it's like yeah that that feels because it feels weird and that i think that adds to the atmosphere mm. it kind of makes you feel like i'm in a different world right now I think that's part partially why he does the things he does. Definitely, definitely, yeah. But I have you got any? Well, I'd I'd like to like to say that it's just it's a postmodern masterpiece. Like Jesus, is what a yeah yeah what a brilliant film like that that he's kind of crafted that you know making these features. I I think it's such an inspiring thing to do. I don't think it's perfect, but I think it's really well designed in that way. Like mm. I think when you run through it, it's like uh, some scenes are a bit slow. Some things. But I love that when you go back over it and you find out, oh, it's a dream. Oh, and mm. you're like, oh, it all makes sense now. Like it starts to like the genius of it starts to arise. And I was looking through obviously mm. this time watching it and be like, yeah, yeah, that's that. There, 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 there. Like, you know, it, yeah, yeah. So that's why I love it. I think it's amazing. Mm, definitely. And I was going to say something. I've completely forgotten it now. The... It, and then it, it, yeah, I've remembered. I think it offsets all of that 
stuff. The, all that kind of, the, you know, the kind of weirdness and, and that with just some really oddly slapstick kind of moments that almost it, you know, like whenever someone gets punched, you have this incredibly fake sounding yeah, kind of sound like this proper cheesy like Batman punch or fall over. You know, it's almost like but you have these really cheesy punching sounds Um, and, you know, the the scene where the kind of would-be assassin has been obviously kills this person and then he accidentally shoots someone else through the wall as he's trying to like put the gun in the other guy's hand and he's like oh shit and then as he's trying to kill that woman in the next room a cleaner sees so and it, you could just see it start to like spiral out of control in the the kind of funniest way possible because you know he, he tries to kill her but then she ends up you know uh, kind of taking him to the ground and like she could, she could quite easily have killed him but you know so I, I can't quite remember what happens he manages to kind of um you know get the gun back and it just yeah it just really um escalates when you think about it it's one of the darkest scenes where we actually mm. see murder within the film what well, we see someone murdered three. we see three people killed we, we see three people killed we see somebody murdered and dead which is diane we find out it's diane who's dead and it's like oh god but we see this man kill three people but it's played for laughs it's, yeah. it's, a, it's very funny but I mean part of that is I think life is kind of funny sometimes mm. you know it's not always a straight comedy it's not always a straight horror life is full of these like really unusual kind of moments. like yeah yeah like these um, forays into comedy into horror but I, I love that I like yeah I, I thought that really worked well like having having that and then also like yeah it's I don't know, maybe having a little nod at, like, the film industry of, you know, these kind of cheesy, over-the-top kind of sound effects. I'm surprised that I don't think I've noticed a Wilhelm scream, because that's usually a bit of a, <laughs> yeah. a kind of nod to that kind of thing. So, but, you know, um, yeah, like, it, you know, I, I thought that worked really well and kind of, it was a nice antithesis, I think, to the other bits, these just kind of little interjections of, of yeah, of not even comedy-comedy, because comedy, it, it, it's not slapstick-slapstick, but it is different and the pay you know the pacing's different and the the sound is different and the lighting's kind of different it's always a bit lighter and it kind of just sits nicely in contrast i think with the rest of the film and yeah it's, it's interesting yeah we've said all we've all we can say about maholland drive yeah yeah station signing off i was all right for a while i could smile for a while But I saw you last night You held my hand so tight As you stopped to say hello Oh, you wish me well You couldn't tell That I've been crying Over you Thank you for joining us on another episode of The Station Podcast. If you have any thoughts about the film or what we've discussed today, please be sure to let us know at our Facebook and Instagram, as well as if you want to keep up to date with what we post and our schedules. Thank you.